0: We are again today in John chapter 8, so take your Bibles if you would and turn with me to the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, beginning in verse 12. This will be about our third week in that particular passage, I think we will probably exhaust it. Well, we won't exhaust it today, but we'll finish with it today and move on next week. But there's so much here that I want you to see, so much here that That John is wanting us to grasp about this one who said, I am the light of the world. I mean, that that is a significant, that is a rich statement, as I hope you've seen over the last few weeks. Uh, It it, it conjures up all sorts of ideas, especially in the minds of those Pharisees with whom he will have a bit of interaction with. We'll look at that interaction a little closer today. It conjures up all sorts of things in their mind. They immediately think of creation. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and God said, let there be light and there was light and God separated the light from the darkness and at the very creation, part of the essence of that creation was the separating of the dark from the light and bringing light into the world, giving light that was not there, making light that which had been in total darkness and then Jesus comes along and said, I want you to understand I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world back then. I am the light of the world now. It was me giving light at the very beginning, and it's me that gives light now. And the one who follows me and the one who believes in me will never, ever, ever walk in darkness. That is a significant and an important thing to understand. Hear Jesus and, and hear the Pharisees as they banter back and forth, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. For I am the Father who sent me. But I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me also testifies about me. So they were saying, and here are these three questions we want to think about and examine today. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Where is your father? In essence, who is your father? And where is your father? We know who your father is. Your father, we, we've known Joseph. We know who he is. We've, we've seen him from Nazareth, Mary and Joseph. There's your father and your mother. We know, what do you mean? What do you mean your father testifies to you? We don't see Joseph around here anywhere giving any kind of testimony where is your father? We'll come back to that. And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said to them again, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin." For where I am going, you cannot come. That really stirred him up. So the the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, how in the world did they get out of him saying, where I'm going, you can't come. You'll die in your sins. You can't come after me. How'd they get out of that? Surely he's not going to kill himself, is he? We'll talk about that in a minute. Think about that. And he was saying to them, verse 23, and he was saying to them, "'You are from below, and I am from above. "'You are of this world, and I am not of this world. "'Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, "'for unless you believe that I am, that I am he, "'unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins.'" So they were saying to him, who are you? Can't you just see the exasperation in their voice there? Can't you just feel that exasperation when he's, he's talking to them? He says all these things and he says, unless you believe in me, unless you believe that I am, I am, unless you believe that I am he, you're going to die in your sins. And they just in exasperation say, who are you? We thought we know. Who, we we think we know who you are. You're Joseph's son, Mary's son. You're the carpenter's son. You worked your father's carpenter shop. We, we think we know who you are. Who are you, or who are you claiming to be? Good question. Important question. So they were saying to him, "Who are you?" And Jesus said to them, "What I have been saying to you from the beginning." I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now we've talked about the significance of light. Light does all sorts of things. Light illuminates, light guides, light gives direction, light cleanses, light purifies. All sorts of things that we talked about the importance of light. But when these Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders that were there in the temple, remember, at the, we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles, we're still at the feast that's celebrating what took place in the wilderness. When the children of Israel left Egypt and were led out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land, we're still at the celebration of all of that where they have the water, and Jesus said, I am the water of life, and they have the light that's lit by the big lanterns or the big torches in order to signify the the cloud of fire that went before them at night. They're celebrating all that, and Jesus looks at these torches that are lit to symbolize it, and he says, I want you to know I am the light of the world. That light is temporary, that light is is limited, but I'm the light of the world. And if you follow after me, you will never, ever walk in darkness. If you follow me, you will walk in the light for the rest of your life, indeed, for the rest of all of eternity. I am the light of the world, period. When When these Pharisees heard that, they thought of the light of creation. They thought of the light of the pillar of fire in the wilderness that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. They thought about all those things that, that they had in their heritage and in their tradition that said light is an important thing to understand and light is always symbolic of God. Light is always pointing to the reality of God. Light is always pointing to His presence and His provision. Light is always saying that God is the one who rules because God is the one who has the power to show the way. These Pharisees understood that when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, all of those images came to their mind and they said, this one is claiming to be Him. This one is... is, claiming some kind of deity at least, some kind of special relationship with God, some would say. But they understood it was going far beyond that. They understood that he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the very one who gives light, who created light, who brought it to be in the first place, and he's the one who helps us to walk in the light because his light gives life. His light gives new birth his life brings about a reality in a person's life that nothing else can. These Pharisees understood that he's speaking in ways that nobody's ever spoken before. They knew the prophecies of of, of like Isaiah in in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 when when Isaiah prophesied there the word of the Lord and and simply said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And, and, And later on in that in that same chapter, he said, and, and the people will know it. Excuse me, wrong verse, chapter, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the governor will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You know, there, there's, a, there's a tremendous, marvelous, beautiful picture there that's given of the one who is yet to come. We read that verse at Christmas every year. But they understand that Jesus is saying... That the one that, that Isaiah prophesied about, I'm him. I am he. And unless you believe that I am, then you will never know life. You will never know light. And you will die in your sins. You'll die in your sins. So these Pharisees gather around him and they say, We got some questions. Three questions in this passage. They're simple. Verse 19. They were saying to him, where is your father? You speak about your father testifying of you. You speak about your father showing that you are who you say you are. Where is your father? Now, again, they're thinking on an earthly plane. Understand that. They're they're thinking uh, purely, purely worldly. Where's your father? Where's Joseph? He said, you need to understand, you don't know my father. You don't know me, and you don't know my father, and if you knew me, you would know my father also. Now realize these are the people who claim that God is their father. We are children of Abraham. Abraham was a son of God, and by virtue of that, we are sons and children of God. These are people who Jesus is going to get into a real discussion with a little later in the Gospel of John about who their father is, and he's not going to be very kind to them. He's not going to say, well, maybe God is your father, perhaps could be. He's going to say, no, your, your father's the devil. And they're going to be shocked by that. But Jesus wants them to understand that the reason he says what he says about himself, the reason he testifies about himself is because his testimony is not a, a selfish testimony. It's not a self-centered testimony. It's a testimony that is borne out by the Father. He, he bore it out in the miracles. Every miracle we've seen up until now, and every miracle we'll see, is God saying, This is my son. This, this guy's who he said he is. Jesus is the Messiah. He's I, I'm I'm testifying, the Father says, that he's true because he's doing the signs of the Messiah. And and ultimately the, the greatest greatest miracle of all miracles that will testify to that is his resurrection when he comes back to life from the dead when he's been crucified, when he's born the sin. But they say, who is your father? And he, or where is your father? They say, you don't know my father. You think in worldly manners. You, you think in ways of, of where's my earthly father. My father you don't know because you don't know me. And it indicates in verse 20 that they really were getting pretty ticked off about this. They were really getting pretty upset about the way he was saying all this stuff because he says, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. But the implication there by John is, no one seized him, but boy, did they want to. They would love to have stopped this right now, but the power of God, the hand of God was on his ministry, and they could not touch him no matter what they wanted to do. It says in verse 21, I'm going to go away, and you're going to seek me. And you will die in your sin, because where I'm going, you cannot come. And when he says that, it leads to their second question. What? Surely, he will not kill himself, will he? Because he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Listen, these Pharisees were about the most presumptuous people that ever lived. And they just knew that if anybody was going to heaven... That they were that if anybody was going to be in the presence of God they were why they followed the law they were righteous beyond belief as far as mankind goes I mean you know they even Paul when he said gives his testimony in Philippians chapter 3 said I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees as to the law as men look at it I was found blameless I mean these these Pharisees thought if anybody stands before God pure it's me I, I know a lot of Baptists like that don't you I know a lot of people in 21st century America that think, well, I'm okay because I'm a good person. These Pharisees thought they were the ultimate good person. And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, what you don't understand is you're going to die in your sins because your sins have not been dealt with. Now, they would say, what sins? We're righteous men. We're, we follow the law. We obey what, what sins. What sins are we going to die in? But the real killer was when he said, where I'm going, you can't come. They understood he was talking about after this life, where I'm going, and they knew they were going to heaven, so they just assumed he was going to hell. Because he said, where I'm going, you can't come. We're going to heaven, so he's going to heaven. And to them to ask, well, are you going to kill yourself? In Jewish understanding, the most heinous sin, the most unbelievable sin, the only unforgivable, totally unforgivable sin was suicide. That is Jewish theology, not Christian theology, by the way. Jewish beliefs, not Christian beliefs. We don't have time to get into that today. But, but they just assume, well, if, if we're going to heaven and you're not going where we're going and we're not going where you're going, you must be going to uh, kill yourself because you're not only going to hell, you're going to the worst part of hell. You're going to the lowest part because that's reserved for those who take their own lives. And so he says, I'm, 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 uh, you must be going there. We're, we're certainly not going with you. What are you talking about? Are you going to kill yourself? You gotta imagine Jesus had just a little bit of a grin when he answers them. Just a little bit of a, (laughs) you guys just don't get it. He says to them, you are from below. Not talking about below the earth, talking about of the earth. You are from below, I am from above. My home is with my Father, he's saying. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. Now here's the kicker. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's a a phenomenal statement. You talk about a statement that started... You, you think that him saying, I'm alive? of the world, got their, you know, their rankles up just a little bit. This one really did. Because again, I told you this last week, when they heard him say, unless you believe that I am, they knew what he was saying. Unless you believe that I am, the same I am who spoke out of the burning bush, the same I am who was in the, who was in the, in the, backlands with Moses when he called Moses to go into to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out. Unless you believe that I am the same one that spoke out of that bush, you will die in your sins. That was true in Jesus' day. That was true to the Pharisees of the first century. That was true of the Pharisees. Who thought they were so good and so righteous. And let me tell you something. It's true of the Pharisees in the 21st century. Not those who are walking around with religious garb on saying I'm a Pharisee because of whatever, but those who think that they're all right because they really are good people. And they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe that He is the I Am. They don't believe that He is God incarnate, come in the flesh. That's what John is is wanting all of us to see and all of us to understand. And he says, therefore, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And that was true in his day, and that is true in our day. That's why the call to follow me, the call to trust in me, is the most significant, the most important call that's ever given in all of the Scripture. And it's given universally. It's given across the land. It's given to everyone who will hear. And and here's the call of the gospel. Come and follow me. Because if you don't believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. So then they were saying to him in verse 25. (laughs) I love this. Who are you? Todd read the passage out of Matthew chapter sixteen, that great encounter at Caesarea Philippi between Jesus and and Simon Peter—well, really all, all of the disciples—but where Simon Peter just rose to the occasion, as he is wont to do occasionally. If he's not rising to the occasion, he's sticking his foot in his mouth. But this time he rose to the occasion, and and, and Jesus said to the disciples, who, "Who do men say that I am?" and 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 Some said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say you're one of the prophets. I mean, they have all these answers as to who they say you are. Jesus looks square at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And and Simon Peter did not equivocate. He did not pause. He immediately spoke out boldly and clearly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I imagine he expected Jesus to say, Peter, you are such a smart person. You are so good to have figured that out. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, don't you understand one thing? Flesh and blood, your brains didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven did. He's opened your eyes, He's opened your heart. God has done a work in you to show you who I am. And that's that's what's not happening here. These Pharisees are sitting around thinking we've got some preconceived notions of what Messiah is going to be and who Messiah is going to be, and this, this guy is not him. Who are you? Who are you? Jesus says, I want you to understand what I have been saying to you from the beginning. John made that point in chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or he has proclaimed him. There is that intimacy with the Father that Jesus experienced and then the only begotten God became flesh and dwelt among us and he is proclaiming, he is explaining, he is demonstrating who God is. And, And these people can't see it. Who are you? Who are you? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak in the world. And they just couldn't even realize when he said, He who sent me is true, that he was speaking about the Father. I think think our world is asking those same three questions. Maybe not asking them consciously even, maybe subconsciously. Maybe they don't realize what their need is. But the one thing John is showing here is that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, as the light of the world, has the only ability to meet the deepest needs of mankind, the deepest spiritual needs, the need for a relationship with God Almighty is through Jesus Christ. They didn't realize He was talking to them about the Father. They don't know the Father. They don't know Him. If they had known Him, they would have known the Father. If had known the Father, they would have recognized Him. And then He says to them, when you lift up the Son of Man. He's talking about His crucifixion here. He's talking about the death that He is going to die. Not too far in the future. The death He's going to die. And He says, when you very emphatically to these Pharisees and these religious leaders standing around him. He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak the things which the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Today, I would guarantee you that people that you work with, people that you live near, people that you have interaction with at school or any number of other places really don't have a clue who Jesus is. Oh, they've heard the name, possibly in a swearing sort of way. They've heard the name used in a very vain sort of way even by some christians i don't just mean cursing here i mean using it vainly just talking about jesus casually and not understand not even presenting who he really is but but they've heard the name but 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 if they were honest to themselves they would ask you who is he the thing i want to know is are you prepared to tell them who he is Are you prepared to tell them He he is God incarnate? He's the one who came in order to be lifted up so that sins might be forgiven. And if you don't believe that He is the one, that He is, I am, then you will die in your sins. And they may say, well, I don't have any sins. And you got to say, well, that's not right. Scripture makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, you may not have intentionally said, I'm going to go out and sin. I'm going to go out and break this commandment or that commandment. I'm going, to, I'm going to show God who's in control. You may not do it volitionally. You may not do it overtly, but you do it every day. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in those sins. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in those sins. Well, it's interesting, verse 30 this section closes out. He said, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Don't you wish John had said a little more there? Don't you wish he had said, Oh, by the way, it was, it was Pharisee number five, six, and eight? You know, or maybe even gave their names. Or, 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 or if he just said, It was some of those who were just standing by watching this encounter. They didn't have any, they didn't have a dog in the fight, they didn't think. They, they weren't part of the Pharisees. They weren't part of the religious leaders. They were just part of the crowd, and they were watching. And, man, they, they heard him, and they saw the authority with which he spoke, and, and God's Spirit showed them, this is the one. This is the Messiah. But it says, many came to believe in him. Yeah, I wish John had told us a little more. Because I, I think in our day and time, we struggle with understanding what it means to believe in him. There are a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. Sure, no problem. Others say, oh, well, I believe the stories about him are true. I believe he did miracles. I believe he's a great teacher. I believe all sorts of things about him. You know, sure, I believe, I believe in Jesus. Sometimes the way I believe in fairy tales and Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. I, mean, you know, I believe in Jesus. I don't know. I, John doesn't go into a lot of depth to say if this pistis here is a is a deep heartfelt belief, if it's a if it's a temporary belief, if it's just sort of a shallow belief. He, go, he just says many came to believe in him. But what does that mean? To believe in the Lord. I was reading last week in a, a book by R. A. Torrey, a Voice Out of the Past, and. He was telling a story that I think pretty well illustrates what it means to believe in Jesus. Doesn't just mean to believe that he existed. Doesn't just even mean to believe that, yeah, I believe he was from God. He tells a story about a, a daredevil almost a century ago now, maybe a century ago now, uh, by the name of Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was the first man to stretch a wire. Across the Niagara Falls, and to walk across it on a tightrope, and, and it was a lot of a lot of hype around it, and everybody came out uh, from far and wide to watch. Blondin, Charles Blondon, walk across. It was later done by uh, uh, Eric Valenza, one of the Valenza people, but but this one was the, the first one, and, and and everybody came out to see what was happening. You know, it's kind of like going to a NASCAR race. Everybody's waiting on the wreck. You know why you go? I thought it was. Anyway, they're waiting to see if he's going to fall into, into utter death and destruction right off the rope. So Blondin starts out across the rope, and he, step at a time, He has a long bar balancing himself, and one step at a time, he walks across that tight rope across Niagara Falls. And when he gets to the other side, and his foot touches the ground, there's a great cheer that goes up from both sides of the falls. You know, yay, he made it, he did it, that's great. When he got to the end, he turned around, he looked at the crowd on the side to which he had walked. And he, he made sort of an interesting proposal. He offered to recross in the other direction. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. Let's see it again. But then he said to one man, or to the group really first, he said, do you believe that I'm able to carry someone across on my back? And uh, they all kind of yeah yeah you can, you can probably do that. Then he turned to one particular man and he said, well let me ask you this: Do you believe I'm able to carry you across on my back? The guy said, absolutely, I certainly do. There's no doubt in my mind you can. And he said, will you let me? And the guy said, will I let you? Well, heartily. You don't think I'm going to risk my life like that, do you? So he turned to somebody else. He said, "Well, how about you?" The my guy standing there said, "I believe. In fact, I have no doubt about it at all." And he said, "So will you get on my back and let me carry you across?" And he said, "I will." He got on his back. They started out. They made it all the way the other side. Crowds went crazy. I would. I would. Prefer, I, I would. I would say to you today and propose to you today that both of those men had belief in Charles Blondin. Both of them had some type of belief. One was was an intellectual belief, and one was a true belief. One was real faith. The one that said, yes, I believe you can do it. There's no doubt in my mind. You can get somebody on your back, and you can go across there, and it's not going to be me did not have real faith that blind could do what he said he could do. The one who said, yeah, I, I believe you can, and I believe you can so much that I will be the one to climb on your back and do it. You know, that's what faith in Christ really is. It's not a matter of saying, yes, I believe he's the Savior. Yes, I believe he was sent from God. Yes, I believe he did all he said he did. and I believe he taught all he said he taught. I believe that he was a good man. I believe he was a great teacher. I believe he was a miracle worker. All those things are true. But real faith is resting in him to do what he says he will do. Real faith is, as it were, climbing on the back and totally committing yourself to the walk. That's what real faith is. It's in Christ. Lord, my good works aren't good enough. My religiosity will get me nowhere. My trying to be a 21st century Pharisee and look holy to everybody else is of no value at all. I trust in you alone. I remember about six years ago, somebody accused me of believing that and of preaching that man is a sinner and can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. To which I said, guilty. Because that's the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul said. That's what Jesus is saying here. Unless you believe that I am. You will die in your sins. And unless you believe that I am, you cannot go where I am going. It's not because I'm going to commit suicide. You're going to lift me up. You're going to kill me. You're going to crucify me. It's not a matter of suicide. It's a matter of doing what my father has sent me here to do. I will follow his plan and his purpose to the T, and I will be the redeemer, and I will be the savior. But it's only as you believe that I am he and put your trust totally in me in a get-on-the-back, walk-across-Niagara-Falls sort of way, that there's real, real faith. It's total commitment. It's absolute total commitment. It's saying, I trust you. And I trust you alone. And I know, Lord Jesus, that you have promised that you will never fail me, you will never leave me, you will never drop me. That that not only do you walk across the chasm of eternal life with me on your back and never drop me, but it's not a matter of, 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 of me having to hang on. It's a matter of you are keeping me there by your power, by your grace, by your strength. Do you believe that? I mean, that, that's, that's the gospel, folks. Do, do you believe that? Are you saying my life is committed to Christ and Christ alone? I don't look at God every morning in my prayer and say, God, I hope you noticed yesterday that I fed the poor, and I hope you noticed yesterday that I went to Colonial Village, or I went to Hopeway, or I went to Peru. Or I, I hope you noticed, Lord, all these things I did. But it's saying, Lord, nothing I do. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling, as the old hymn says. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what the Pharisees are so upset about. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm who I've said I was from the beginning. I'm, I, I have come from the Father. I have come to show the Father. I have come to demonstrate who the Father is. And the Father's with me, and will not leave me alone. And if you're in me, the Father will never leave you. Pure and simple. I love the way John just focuses in on on who he is, who who Christ is, and challenged those reading his book in the beginning, and challenges you and me. Who do you say he is? What have you done with him in your life? Let's pray. We're going to sing in a moment a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation. It's one of my favorites. I will glory in my Redeemer. Paul says, I will... Boast in nothing except the cross of Christ. And this song says, I will glory in my Redeemer. In other words, my glory is not in myself. It is in Christ. And, and I don't know you, many of you, to know your heart. But I, I challenge this more if you've never really trusted Christ with all that you are. Not saying, Christ, I want to trust you and get in on my good works. So I want to trust you and, and get in because I'm a Baptist or a church member anywhere. I trust you and you alone. I challenge is more to examine your heart and see. And then it'll be obedient. Be obedient to his call in your life. Father, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.